I remember when I enjoyed life. <laughs> we dress all steampunk and uh, play the tambourine. I'll continue embezzling from you now. Very good. Carry on. I feel like somehow that's offensive. Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast where constipation is inevitable. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. Now, if only you'd get some of those crotchless knickers. Well, Tom, give me time. Well, this is a spicy start. To it is podcast. a very spicy yeah. start. I want to... You know what? Ignore... I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> it was just going to go somewhere disgusting. Um, moving on. People might be eating. <laughs> yes. Perhaps people in two new countries. Two new countries. That we have to report this week. One of which is the Oland Islands. Ooh. They are islands that are technically part of Finland, which, as you may recall, is the most populous nation that is not yet I checked see. In. Uh, but they're autonomous, they largely speak Swedish, and they're they're located in the Gulf of Bothnia between Sweden and Finland. Okay. So thank you to the Olander that downloaded our podcast. Yes. And thanks also to the person in the island of Mauritius. Ooh, we yeah. saw a film from the island of Mauritius once. We did. It was the first film ever produced That's right. on the island nation of Mauritius. And uh, we hope that any subsequent films have been steps up. Yes, absolutely. But uh, hey, it was the first one, so... It was called Benares. It was. That was the name of it. We yes. saw it at the Toronto International Film Festival. Yes. And uh, we left during the Q&A because we didn't want to make anybody feel bad. Yeah. Well, we left before the Q&A started. Right. Yes. Uh, we did not want the the new filmmakers to be sad. Right. Uh, yes. Anyway, <laughs> we can't entirely recommend that movie, although if you want to know some stuff about some prostitutes right. and how there's a Benares also in India... Yeah. Uh, knock yourselves out. But uh, but we wish Mauritius nothing but the best. Yes, and thank you for listening, Mauritius. Yes. So we have a little bit of a programming change this week. Uh, it got to be time to record this podcast, and we realized that we had not done our research for the <laughs> promised standalone Tom Repeats History fashion backwards uh, extravaganza we had planned. Right. Uh, our apologies. I have been very busy. My sketch troupe is about to perform a show this coming weekend. Uh, if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, I would strongly recommend that you check out www.femikaze.com. And if you're interested in seeing an all-female sketch group uh, to come on out, it's only $10. I will be there. You could meet me in person. It's true. Uh, although I'm likely to be running around like a mad woman, making sure that everything goes smoothly. But you'll still have time for a word. Oh, absolutely. Possibly even six. <laughs> uh, yeah, and this show is appropriate for people, uh, I would say about ages 16 and up, if you have a liberal view of how old you should be when you can hear the F-bomb dropped <laughs> Repeatedly. 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 We yes. like it a lot. Yes. Uh, anyway, so we are doing Manor House episode four yes. this episode. Entitled Tough Love. Tough Love. <laughs> it's the toughest love of all. <laughs> Uh, but before we get into the episode, we do want to catch up on our correspondence with telegrams from our cousins. Take it away, Tom. Okay. Our first telegram comes from Cousin Carrie, who writes... I wanted to tell you how much I love your podcast, even though I am a Mr. Bates fan. I'm enjoying Manor House as well. I wanted to ask you a question. Do you have any idea or know of a website that tells you where the people from Manor House are now? It's been 10 years, and I'm curious on how they're doing. Thanks for your time, Cousin Carrie. Yeah, there is a little bit of information. There are mm. some newspaper articles that were sort of written in the wake of the show airing, right? which 
aren't as informative as you want, but I'll definitely post links to that on the Facebook and the Twitter. And um, I feel like I saw something that has updates on some of the people. Right. But there's nothing I don't think that catches you up on everybody collectively. Yeah. And I believe, and I'll, I'll do my own research, and we can also put this link up. I think Mr. Edgar actually has a Wikipedia page because he was a well-respected architect. Uh-huh. He won some architecture prizes and things like okay. that. Like he was so, I, and that's something I remember looking up a few years back. But I believe that is the case. Okay, well, so we'll try to give you guys as much information as we can on sort of where the crew from Manor House is currently. I think it's safe to say they are not making appearances at bars uh, <laughs> like the cast of The Jersey Shore or The Real World or uh, The Bachelorette. It- You're more tawdry. <laughs> reality television series yes next telegram is from cousin jess kelly and tom i wanted to simply say thanks for doing your podcast since my father told me about it many months ago i look forward to the new episodes and it gives my boring life some meaning the only other podcast i listen to is one about football aka american soccer since i usually can't stand podcasts and when my father told me about this one at first i ignored his suggestion since my hatred for podcasts runs deep (laughs) until he put it on in the car one time i was home and i was hooked plus i loved hearing my mother's reaction to the show and she as she finds it offensive which in my opinion means it's good (laughs) she is so proper sometimes she wants to be like maggie smith on downton abbey i've been having a shit time lately and i was saving your manor house podcast for just when i needed it most that turned out to be tonight well, this morning on the East Coast where I am, and it delivered. I love the interaction between you two, and I love the pop culture references that I almost always get. Though I must admit it was only recently that I realized what this Jersey Shore everyone was talking about was. <laughs> I stopped watching MTV when 120 minutes started to suck, circa 2000. But anywho, I really appreciate the show and why I, what I imagine is a shitload of work that goes into it. So thanks. I'm looking forward to next week's show, Cousin Jess. Well, thank you. Very cool. And uh, I really enjoy your frequent use of the word shit. I feel like it's the most overlooked profanity somehow. (laughs) It is. It does all the work and it doesn't get any of the credit. Exactly. Yep. Next, we have a telegram from Cousin Julie who writes, Hello, Cousins. I'm just now watching and listening to the Christmas special episodes, and I'd like to come clean as the anonymous proxy listener. I spent this last year in China, and your podcast was a great aid in both giving me a link to the Western world and reassuring me that there were others out there who felt as strongly about Downton as I did. My American companion liked Downton about as much as Lord Grantham likes Branson. I especially enjoy Tom Repeat's history and fashion backwards, and I'm very impressed with the level of research you put into the show. Thank you for your hard work and witticisms. Granny would be proud. Very sincerely, your expat cousin, Julie. Ah, very cool. Well, that's one mystery solved. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) One down, 3,997 to go. Next, we have a letter from Lady Amanda. Ooh. Dear Cousins Kelly and Tom, I am not writing to tell you that I have word from a thrilled Lady Flincher about Mary's midnight escapades with a certain Turkish gentleman, or that I have knowledge from the ladies made to a colonel in Mr. Bates's former regiment about stolen silver. I am writing to tell you that I love your podcast. I learned about it from the incomparable Evangeline Holland's website and have listened to the recaps of All Downton Season 1 and up to Rippin' City of a Thousand Dreams for Season 2. Your witty commentary has me in fits of laughter, as does Kelly's impersonation of 
love McG's accent. I too can say luncheon like McG and do so quite regularly. Also, I'm a big fan of Manor House and look forward to listening to your upcoming podcasts, especially when the long-awaited Downton Season 3 is revealed. I love your Tom Repeats history and Kelly's fashion backwards. As an aspiring writer of Edwardian historical romance, these both have been a font of knowledge and help in my research. Furthermore, I'm Team Lord and Lady Grantham, despite McG's weird accent and glazed-over look. I think the accent part might have something to do with her having lived in America for part of her life and then moving to England after she married Lord Grantham. Not sure about the glazed-over look. <laughs> Yet I think they make a great couple and do love each other very much, despite Lord G being a stoic Englishman and not showing it as much as he ought. I'm also Team Edith and Anthony and hope they get together in Season 3. She deserves a man who thinks she's lovely, despite her overbite, and Anthony is indeed that. Five Maggie Smiths all around and keep those amazing podcasts coming. Your cousin, Lady Amanda. Well, thank you. And I mean, I have to say, boy, when you get to Manor House, anybody who's been watching it really has a new appreciation for Lord and Lady Grant. You know what? They have a very functional, non-disgusting relationship. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm excited. And we're super excited for Downton Season 3. I was oh, thinking yeah. we just went to see The Dark Knight Rises yesterday and mm-hmm. we were like avoiding the Internet, <laughs> you know, for like the whole day to avoid spoilers. Right. But I was like, it's going to be like that for months on Downton Abbey season three. Like yeah. we're going to have to really be careful yeah. once it comes out in Britain because people will be just jerks about it. Yeah. Like I just don't, I just don't even know how to handle it. I, I haven't, I haven't really thought about what, I what, mean, normally we are the jerks, right? So this is going to be a new experience. Yeah. This non jerky, uh, time in our lives. <laughs> Next, we have a telegram from Cousin Elisa. She writes, Dear Cousin Kelly and Cousin Tom, I'm a big fan of your podcast. You guys are hilarious. I'm originally from the Bay Area, but I'm currently living in Madrid, Spain, and it gives me a warm feeling to picture you guys posting from home. I enjoy your format with the detailed recaps. I get to relive each episode, but with even more snark. Yay for snark! I just finished your last Out Abbey podcast. Yes, I'm really far behind, but I don't have a lot of time to listen. I tried listening at the gym, but nearly hurt myself falling off the treadmill from laughter. Plus, apparently it's very bad etiquette to enjoy yourself while working out. The stares I got. I just wanted to write in on behalf of Lord Grantham, since you said no one ever wrote in for him. What, you say? Why on earth would you do that? Well, at that time period, he was actually not as bad as many of the other lords of the realm. Theoretically, he is responsible for the livelihood of hundreds of people living and working on his estates, kind of like the head of a large family company. If he were responsible, he and Lady Cora, McGee, in case you forgot her name, would have visited his tenants, arranged any repairs, and generally taken care of and helped out anyone in trouble, like Edith helping on the farm with the tractor. We won't go into how it turned out. When I say theoretically, it is because, like so many children of privilege, most of his contemporaries were squeezing every last dime, farthing? Out of, out of their tenants to support their lavish lifestyles and gambling addictions. So I'm assuming he is a good landlord, though Fellows doesn't make this clear. So I think, given the time period and his upgri- upbringing, I think he's not so bad. At least he's not raping all the housemaids slash female guests and gambling, drinking, and whoring all the money away. I assume. He's a sucky father and completely an entitled whiny brat, but that is par for the course for the aristocrats of the day. I have a question about wartime and the aristocracy. I was surprised to see that Matthew went to war and that Lord Grantham had before been to war because my understanding of the rules of the time that the heir to a title was not allowed to be put into danger, particularly one with so few male relatives, so as to preserve the bloodline. The other male offspring could go, of course, but I thought the heir was kept well out of the line of fire. 
Maybe he insisted on going, but I figured he would have been given desk duty or something. Please enlighten me. I'm becoming a big fan of Edwardian England thanks to your podcast. It was truly an exciting time where people had more choices than ever before as to what they would do with their lives. The lower classes and women were taking the first steps towards equality. Unfortunately, we are still not done yet a hundred years later. Keep up the good work. Warmest regards, Cousin Elisa. P.S. I can't get a hold of Manor House, but your recaps are usually detailed enough. I think I can figure it out. Off to go paint my daughter's room while listening to the Gosford Park recap. I hope I don't make too much of a mess while laughing. I hope that as well. Yes. <laughs> as does your daughter, I presume. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of your area. Do you know anything about being an heir and, and going to war? Well, I mean, I, I'm talking a bit more... Um, this is this is a bit more speculative than I would like to be. I haven't researched this particular question, but well, my, we can research it thoroughly for our standalone <laughs> episode. That's right. Uh, but my understanding had always been that it would be one of these things where the heir in question, Matthew or Lord Grantham, at his time, would generally have been pushing to go to war, and mm-hmm. there might have been other family members concerned with their special status, you know, endeavoring to talk them out of it, endeavoring to sort of maneuver them out of harm's way. But, you know, after all, the whole aristocracy does descend from a feudal system that was based on military prowess. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that was ultimately, that's why they, hunting and sports and physical activity were all such parts of the aristocratic lifestyle. Why athletics was such an important part of an upper class education was all coming down from this, you're supposed to go out and fight and be a soldier and mm-hmm. not just a, you know, in the rear commander bureaucrat, but actually fighting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there was definitely that pressure as well to keep them out of harm's way, but they would have been expected to at least make a show of wanting to be out there in the fight. Well, and particularly in this time period, you know, gentility was really the order of the day, and there were so few opportunities for the men to, like, go out and be masculine. That's true. And and war was one of, you know, I think this is one of the reasons for the proliferation of war is that, mm-hmm. you know, men have felt that it's this opportunity to go out and show how masculine they can be and how adept they are at the sort of male art of killing. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, you know... You know, you read all kinds of stories about lots of people, you know, in World War One in particular, people, you know, 14-year-olds lying about their age so that they could get into the yeah, army and, true. and people going to great lengths to, to actually get involved. Well, and also, I mean, in, in World War One in particular, you know, we saw the sort of development of the, the home front and how people felt it was this very... Uh, important duty mm-hmm. to go over and to stop the Kaiser mm-hmm. uh, from taking over Europe. So, you know, I mean, and, and you know, people really believed these things. Yeah. They really felt that it was their imperative mm-hmm. to stop the Germans. Yeah. All right. Our next letter is from Cousin Natalia, who says, Hi, cousins. Just wanted to let you know I really enjoyed your last guest, Guy Branham. I enjoyed his comments and your rapport. I liked the questions he asked you about the show, what you'd want to be if you were upstairs or downstairs, etc. Please keep him on your guest list. We enjoyed having Guy on as well. Absolutely. Uh, we'll definitely have him back if we can. He does live in Los Angeles, right. which is you know a little bit of a trek. Uh, to get up here or for us to get down there. But if it ever works out again, we'll definitely have him back on. Mm -hmm. Next, we have a telegram from Cousin Beckett, who writes, Hello, cousins. Just listened to Manor House Episode 2. Antonia is by far my favorite, too. One, you don't have to read my telegrams on the show. I am too long-winded. Just writing things as a fellow history buff. Two, Clara Bow episode is up if you want to listen to it. 
Three, we were recommending, and I now recommend to you, a show that was broadcast in the U.S. on the cooking channel called The Supersizers Go, particularly the Edwardian episode. I think you can watch most of it in bits on YouTube. Maybe just set the DVR to catch it? It is a restaurant critic and a comedian who eat for a week as Edwardians, or tutors, or 80s yuppies, etc. So funny and informative. Have a great day. Becca Graham, the History Chicks podcast at thehistorychicks.com. And uh, we are giving Cousin Beckett Cousin of the Week. I think she was Cousin of the Week previously. I think so. So this may be our first repeat. I think that she was the one who had the the photos of her grandmother, Uh, or Mm great-grandmother, from the time period. Uh, But we just want to make sure and promote the History Chicks podcast, since I know a lot of our uh, listeners are interested in women in history. Right. And this is two women discussing women in history at various points. So if you like what we do here, I think you'll definitely like what they do there. And uh, Cousin Beckett, we'll keep reading your telegrams, because (laughs) you're just so (laughs) well-informed. Yes. Uh, true. So congratulations on what we think is a repeat. Yeah, we, we'll have to go back we'll to have the to go official back and, records. Yeah, we'll have to go back and figure it out. <laughs> uh, but thank you, and everyone, please do keep writing in. We love getting telegrams from all of you and sharing them with the rest of the cousins. Absolutely. All right, so now it's time for some tough love, right? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, so it's uh, been seven weeks at this point since the start of the project. A lot of weeks. It's yeah. 49 days. That's true, it is. But just it was... Just a week since the last episode, right? I believe the last one was six weeks. I think so. Well, because I think there's some reference later in the episode to Kenny having worked hard for a week until he got in. Right, right. Uh, let's see. The last episode was four weeks in. Oh, okay. So it's... it's so it's been three weeks. Well, and it's not totally clear. I think they covered a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. In the third episode than they had before. Yeah, that's true. I think they might have you know. they might have done like three weeks versus two. Yeah, I mean it's one of those things where throughout this like the the sort of timestamp we get at the beginning of the episode is generally the only clear indication. Yeah, we that's have, true. Which is you know they're they're keeping they're keeping their flexibility for mm-hmm. how they want to edit. And that's, that's that's well, fair. and they're they're only doing it for three months, so they're almost two thirds of the way through. Then at this point, right, right, yeah, uh, which makes sense because <laughs> we're two thirds of the way through the series. Indeed. But yes, and and the news of the day is that the new scholarly maid is working out great. Oh, she likes to pluck the chickens. Yeah. She's plucking away. She is. Happy as can be. Because she's a farm girl. Right. As we learned in the last episode. I mean, you can just tell, like, her facility with the chicken plucking is just yes. aces. She does not... She knows her way around a chicken. Yes. <laughs> uh, speaking of people who know their way around chicks... <laughs> The first shot we get of Kenny in this episode, he is just, like, standing in the doorway, wrapped. Transfixed. On Ellen. Yeah. It is It is very cute, actually. It is. As, as sort of uh, infuriating <laughs> as I'm sure it is to be around Kenny in this project, it's very cute. Yeah. He's, you know, he's 19 years old. I think she's about that age. Yeah. It's just, it's adorable. Yeah. It's, like, like, he's, like, leaning to one side, uh-huh. standing in the doorway, just like, he can't get enough. <laughs> Uh, Derek Jacoby informs us as we see this that, you know, affairs below stairs were forbidden. Anybody who had an affair would be sacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, this did not happen to Mr. Bates. <laughs> but you win some, you lose some. It would have freed up a whole lot of other time for less annoying plot lines. <laughs> but Kenny- Every once in a while, one of them could have said to the other, what happened to Bates? I don't know. I heard he died. <laughs> anyway, on with our lives. <laughs> you know, Brendan Coyle got nominated for an Emmy. Yep, he sure and did. And 
let's take a minute here to talk about the Emmys a That's little right, bit. That's right, we should. Because, uh, wow. <laughs> so, okay. You know, it's pretty clear that we preferred, you know, Series 1 to Series 2. But right. we still liked Series 2 okay. It was yeah. just, you know, certain things kind of got on our nerves at that point. Right. But they submitted Downton Abbey as a series this time versus a miniseries. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious how it's going to compete against, like, your Mad Men's, your Game right, of Thrones's, right. like, well, the big prestige stuff. Because, yeah. I mean, Downton Abbey is well made. Like, right. I think they right. have pretty good production values. Yeah. But... The writing, in particular, I don't think is on par. And some of the... I mean, I think, you know, Maggie Smith will probably win Supporting mm-hmm. Actress and, you know, right, will not right. be there to accept it, as is the want of dames everywhere. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a dame accept something in person, except, I think, Helen Mirren got her Oscar in person. Right. Actually, I think also, I think Judy Dench accepted her Shakespeare and Love Oscar in person and in the acceptance speech said that she really didn't think that she deserved yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. She was like, that was only like 30 seconds. I don't know why you're Sorry, doing the this. dames don't show up for television awards. For television awards. Particularly yes. not American television awards. Yeah. But uh, Hugh Bonneville was nominated, mm-hmm. which I guess if you're going to nominate a dude, uh, yeah, that's all right. I question because I... I I don't know. I tend not to think of it in terms of like the actors' performances so much. You know, I tend to just think of the characters and what I think about them. Yeah, I guess so. So in terms of the performances, yeah. Uh, but Brendan Coyle got nominated. Right, right. Uh, I think also, what's his? Who plays Carson? All right. Well, his name is escaping us currently. <laughs> yeah, we apologize. But I believe he was also nominated, mm-hmm. unless it was somebody else. This no, is gonna. It was- this is going to be, look, we're going to post corrections on this because I don't have a list in front of me right now. Uh, but Joanne Froggett was yes. nominated, which I think is great. Right. But she's competing against Maggie Smith and Christina Hendricks. Yeah. And like, yeah, she, without spoiling anything, considering what they put Christina Hendricks through on Mad Men this season, mm-hmm. I think that award is Christina Hendricks's to lose. Like, yeah. I think it's going to be either her or Maggie Smith. It's right. going mean, to be I think it's definitely one of those two. Yeah. Yeah. I you know, and well, I love just, I love Joanna Froggett's work. I think right. she does great work as Anna. And it just sort of depends like cuz basically I think what Downton Abbey has going for it is it's not on cable. And I feel like That's true. That when the Academy particularly voters, the older voters yeah, are going to skew that way. When they've got a chance to vote for something that's not on cable and feel okay with it cuz it's been years since they've really had a powerhouse. But they totally they they totally swept you know the last emmys and that was when they were entered as a miniseries though so right so that's the question is Mm -hmm. is is this going to change and obviously they're they're nominated for best uh dramatic series Mm -hmm. as well uh so those are the big ones there's there's some been some discussion on the facebook page of us live tweeting the emmys this year right uh, which would be a lot of fun i think especially if we drink (laughs) uh I didn't think there was a question. Oh, great. Okay. As long as we're on the same page. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So we'll keep you posted on that and make sure you have our our personal Twitter handles. We'll probably do it that way so that we can both be tweeting. Right. Yes. We'll (laughs) we'll see how that... We've never live tweeted anything before. Right. We've used those, those, uh, like, you know, live conversation tools before, but I think this is actually better because you don't have to... You know, you all won't have to sign into anything to participate in the conversation. So... So... So, yeah, so that's, you know, our brief uh, non-sequitur Emmy update of the day. Yes. So, Kenny has told Monsieur Dubiard that he wants to hang out in the kitchen and learn to cook. Right. 
which Monsieur Dubiard is calling him out like to his face. <laughs> yeah. For the first time ever, Monsieur Dubiard is laughing like out of amusement <laughs> and not like sarcastic just not anger. Just out of bitter yeah. Gallic angst. And <laughs> uh, and, but I'm like, don't you have hall boying to do? Like, no, don't you need like, to? Are the halls like just falling into decay? <laughs> <laughs> There's just tumbleweeds. <laughs> right. <laughs> Master guys playing a harmonica <laughs> in the background. <laughs> There's a coyote in the corner. <sighs> Snoopy's brother Spike is there. <laughs> so we get a, a talking head of Kenny. Or he's talking about Ellen and he refers to her as she's a real cracking bird. And I'm like, are you an original member of the Beatles? Are you Stuart Sutcliffe reincarnated? Like, what the hell? British listeners, do people still call uh, women cracking birds? I mean, they may well. We're, we're not in Britain. We're not. We no, I, I'm genuinely asking. It yeah. just seems so dated to me. Well, I mean, this is this is an 11 year old show we're watching. I guess so. That's I don't true. know if that could also be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So get in your TARDIS. <laughs> you, you all have those. You right? all have them, right? In Britain, that's, right. Either that or at least like the old model, like the red box, <laughs> or is that the new model? Anyway. Uh... And but and they also have Ellen and and she uses the word core, which yes. I appreciate it. I'm I'm not gonna try to say it in a British accent. Right. Right. I feel like somehow that's offensive. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Yes. Kenny and Ellen are in the throes of young love. Uh-huh. And it's it's very fun and adorable. It like, is really cute. Yeah. No, and Ellen's just very like she's just a very happy Yeah, and she's just very even keel. She's yeah. not entitled like the previous two scullery maids. Right. She's just like, Oh, like sixteen hours a day I used to work eighteen on the farm. I got <laughs> two hours free to go play footsie with Kenny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that is well that's the love part of tough love. Uh the next thing we find out is the tough part. <laughs> well, there's a big shooting party coming up. Much like Oscar Park. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently Lord O.C. is worried that things have been getting a little lax downstairs. Worried, I presume, based on nothing. Because who is telling him that things are la- – like, right. you can say what you want about Mr. Edgar, but I don't think he's a fink. Right. You know, he's not upstairs – being all Miss Morrison about it and being like, <laughs> oh, well, you know, the servants are getting up to this. And, <laughs> yeah. and this is all kind of revealed over some delightful shots of Lord O.C. holding a shooting rifle and looking quite the prat. <laughs> yes. Well, he keeps, like, trying it out. And the person, the gun merchant who is there showing him the various historical guns that he will get to use because uh-huh. he got to be on this reality show. Um, and sort of, what and does sp- he do all day? <laughs> and the gun merchant sort of ducking him out of the way as he tries <laughs> them out. No, I just, I am annoyed because, and I think it's kind of part of what was brought up in one of the letters about how you don't see Lord Grantham and McGee kind of doing their daily work. Right. You see McGee do a lot more of it in the second series as she is taking over the hospital. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I know it's not sexy. <laughs> I know it's not fun, but I want to know, and I'm I'm well, curious. I think, and I, I think I think in their minds they were showing it, like with with uh, Lord Grantham and Matthew going around to the cottages or whatever. Well, and I, you know, they they definitely do a better job on Downton Abbey than on this yeah, show. Yeah. Because uh, I just I I remain so is he is he continuing to run his actual business? Right. But he couldn't be right because just with the limitations of technology, yeah. I don't see that working. Yeah. Like even you know even with their telephone. Right, right. You know, or do they have sort of like a dummy 
you know, thing for him to do because we've seen Lady OC having to sort of deal with the household accounts. Right. And coping with that. But, mm. and, and they do mention in this episode that their entertaining schedule has been very heavy. Mm, right. So they're clearly putting them through their paces there. Yeah. It's just we don't see a whole lot of the planning that goes into that. Yeah. So it's hard to say. And I mean, I feel like, you know, it's certainly possible, as, as was mentioned in one of those telegrams, that, you know, lords at the time may have not been doing a damn thing mm. with their estates and just had an estate manager. That, you know, once a week, you would go and say, so everything's still running fine, right? And they would say, you know... Sure yes. thing, Rummy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, my lord. I'll continue embezzling from you now. Very good. Carry on. I wonder what that word means. <laughs> yeah, oh, and one thing I noticed was that in the, in the context of what's going to be happening at this party, that there will be fishing, hunting, and shooting. It's a triathlon of sport. <laughs> yes. Well, it just I was struck by the fact that there is a difference between hunting and shooting because hunting, which is really the only thing we do in America, is where you actually go out and find an animal and kill it, whereas shooting, you just sort of stand there and some servant shoes an animal towards you and then you shoot it. Yes. Which is, a, you know. It's not really very sporting. Doesn't seem to be that way. Uh, well, we are, we are on record about our issues with... <laughs> with shooting. And, you know, we're not even vegetarians no, or anything. Like... like but I am just dis- I am disturbed by the idea of hunting an animal for sport. Like right. the animal would not hunt you for sport. The animal, well, most of these animals are vegetarians. R- right. Uh, well, I, I don't know because as as Lord OC says, I suppose all of us hunt in our own sweet, sweet way. way. Like, do I we? think he was talking about the crotchless knickers again. <laughs> That's what I think. Um. Uh, well, we'll get to that we'll, when we'll he. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Well, so the 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 dictate is co- is coming down that everybody needs to be more Edwardian downstairs. And so, like, like Mr. no Edgar, one is buying it. Right. Is just reading this all like he's reading it all verbatim, which I think is a nice move by Mr. Edgar because it's completely he's doing his job, but he's making it clear that this is not coming from him. Uh huh. He is merely the vessel. He does not endorse or oppose. He's just reading what he was told to read. Well, and just everyone below stairs just has a smirk on their face. They're yeah. like, yeah, please. Yeah. And and then at the end, he says that this will, of course, apply to the people upstairs as well. And I was like, oh, okay. So you're promising in return that you will try to be even more of a dick? Like this. <laughs> Well, and he, and he talks about the relationship between himself and uh, Lord O.C. Mm-hmm. And just... Because this, this episode focuses a lot on the relationships within the house and the limitations of them. Right. And how there is an intimacy between Mr. Edgar and Lord O.C. Yeah. And again, I, I want to look into it more carefully and see sort of why a house would have a valet and why it wouldn't have a valet. Yeah, that's a good and point. And if that was more of a late Edwardian development, because that would make a little bit of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that would be sort of just another extravagance that, that Edward VII would have sort of, you know, just, you know, pulled out of his ass <laughs> right. and been like, oh, now I have an extra servant. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. Is is there a situation? Maybe not. I was thinking was there a situation where like a household would be large enough that or that there would be multiple men raiding a valet in the household, you know, as opposed to well, because a butler is the servant of the household, Correct. not of the man. Yes. Whereas the valet, tra- you know, the valet travels around. Yeah. Well, it would be. I mean, I would think if you had numerous sons, 
Right. You know, you would have someone acting as valet for them the way that Anna and Miss Morrison act as, as ladies' maids right, to multiple right. people. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm I'm curious. We will investigate further yes. about valeting and butlering. Yeah. Uh, so we, we do get a scene of Mr. Edgar talking with Lord Grantham about, you know... Horses. Horses, which apparently is a windy and a bumpy pleasure. And I'm like, stop talking about pleasure. Don't <laughs> say that word. But Mr. Edgar's shaving him with a straight razor. And yeah. I'm like, come on, Mr. Edgar. Go, Sweeney Todd. <laughs> Swing your razor wide, Edgar. <laughs> You know, Mr. Dubiard could then bake him into a pie. He would love that. He would love it. <laughs> he would be really thrilled. Yeah. Uh, but sadly, he does not. Uh, as as Lord O.C. says, that they are two bodies with but a single mind. Specifically, I presume Mr. Edgar's mind is what he's referring to there. I don't think Lord O.C. has one. He does seem a bit vacant. Yeah. A bit watery about the eyes. <laughs> well, that's the thing, because it seems like like he's such a, a, you know, dick, I believe he's established. But a lot of it, I mean, sure, that's in, innate. But a lot of it just seems to have him be- taking everything the producers have told him literally, you know? Like, he's yeah. just parroting. Well, and it's interesting, because later you have Lady O.C. talking about how he's a natural autocrat. But like most autocrats... He doesn't have a whole lot of original ideas yeah. or any sort of point of view. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like he is just all about platitudes and making me angry. <laughs> yeah. He just kind of just keeps going with that. Yeah. Because he just, you know, he... I, I, but again, it's like, I don't know what he's doing all day. Like, is this what he's doing all day? Just sitting around talking about horses? Like... I Yeah, I don't know. He's just living a Mills and Boons novel, apparently. What is a Mills and Boon novel? A Mills and Boons novel is, um, it's Harlequin. I mean, they're actually, oh, old, okay. but, you know, they started as separate things, but they merged in like the 70s. Okay, I, I figured it was something yeah. like yeah. that. And I, I learned that Harlequin is actually a Canadian company. Which I oh, good for them. Yeah. A? <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, that's, it's your, you know, basic. I want to read a Canadian romance novel about Princess Pat's light infantry. <laughs> I feel like that would be really good. All right. I would like for Princess Pat herself to be involved somehow. Uh, memo to Messrs. Harlequin. Yes. <laughs> and Mills and Boons. Right. Or Madams. We don't discriminate. That's true. Uh, Unlike some people. <laughs> we do find out how the women use the bathroom, though. Yes. Which, which we've been wondering about forever. Exactly, yes. <laughs> so it turns out this is where the crotchless knickers come in. Right. They are... Easy access for the men folk, which we won't dwell upon because think about no, just yeah. If you're thinking about it, stop the podcast. (laughs) Think about something else, (laughs) and then come back and yeah. Okay, we're good. Okay, but um, you tie your knickers on. You know, there's there's legs. Right. But then the top is sort of open, and then in between the legs, there's a hole. Yeah. So you just, you know, you can just hike up the rest of your skirts and go and sit on your chamber pot or what have you, go to the, the WC. Yeah. And and that's that, which, very uh, very interesting. And, and yeah. Lady Olive Cooper, who I like in this episode much more than right. I have in pre- Like, she, she seems much more self-aware here. Yeah. And she addresses, obviously, the bathroom question, which won her a million brownie points. (laughs) Um, She says it's so funny that you're so constricted up top, Mm -hmm. but then down below there's movement and a lot of air, which probably was more hygienic. 
honestly than what we have today yeah um without getting too graphic right but i mean you know one's nethers do benefit from some fresh air and we just don't have a uh the fashion for it right now yeah it's true Unless you're a nudist, <laughs> which I'm definitely not. Well, you know, or a hoe. <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily. A lot of hoes uh, wear the pantyhose. Oh uh, yeah. Well. <laughs> anyway, I want to. I want to have a. I want to have a stockings drive called Hose for Hoes. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies to any hoes that are listening. <laughs> Uh, all I have written down for the next thing is that I hate Jaunty. Ah, yes. Well, Jaunty, we see sitting at a desk describing how all his mother can talk about anymore is dresses and brooches and whatnot, and how her mind's gone to mush, and it's impossible to get any sense out of her. Which, one thing that that caused me to reflect on, and it's clearly just a reality reality show thing, because it happens to this day, whatever it is about being on a reality show, you really do forget that this is on camera, you know, yeah. because he clearly is thinking that his, mo- he's not thinking that his mother is going to see him mm-hmm. saying this, mm-hmm. even though clearly she's going to. What I found really fascinating about this and also some things that we find out about Sir John in this episode is how much there is this demonization of the feminine. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, this is obvious in other cultural Right. Things as well that are present day. And I mean, you can see it going back. But sort of, you know, if you want to talk about a failure of feminism, which I don't Anyway. Failure is a harsh word. Yeah. We're not going to get into right. theory here and, yeah. and get into all that. If you want to talk about it, just email us and <laughs> we'll get into it. But, uh, you know, this emphasis on women, you know, being strong and, and, and sort of embodying these traditionally masculine traits has caused traditionally feminine traits like concern with appearance and, mm-hmm. and being more passive to be demonized and to not be respected. Right. And you just see it so clearly in this in this talking head with Jaunty because yeah. his mother's a surgeon. Yeah. And and it's amazing how quickly he's willing to discount everything that is true about his mother that we mm-hmm. know must be true. Right. She's a highly educated woman. I yeah. She says she works part-time, so I don't know that she's the primary breadwinner, but even if she's not, she's got to be pulling down some serious cash. Right. Because surgery is highly specialized. Yeah. And and also, she has to change her clothes like seven <laughs> times a day. Yeah. And, and just the fact, you know, I will defend her in terms of, I like clothes. I enjoy performing femininity. I don't mm-hmm. think that it, you know, degrades me or makes me any less intelligent, but... It's just astonishing to me that, you know, she's just living according to the rules of this house. Yeah. She's no, just well, doing I mean, she's doing what she's told as much as anybody else. Right. And that's how it worked was give women extremely difficult tasks mm-hmm. to perform and then deride them as, as pointless. Yes. You know, I mean, that that was the whole thing. Exactly. Anyway. Anyway, you can hear the rest of the discussion on our spinoff podcast, The Feminine Critique. <laughs> Tom, we're already really busy. <laughs> yes. You can hear that never. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the history chicks. They probably talk about it. Okay. And we we sort of see the flip side of this right. with uh, Levine. Yes. Levine's having a really rough go. Yeah. Yeah, she really is. Um, and she just, you know, 
just talks about how everything is so formal and restrictive and she can never, you know, express emotion or have emotion expressed to her ever. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just really getting to her. Well, and she says that she has to agree with everything that her brother-in-law says. Yes. And apparently he was expounding about how educating women is a waste of money. Yes. Which... I can't, I have, I have my note in all caps. How can you say that? Being married to a surgeon? Yeah. Or being alive in the 21st century or just, what? I mean, even at this time, I mean, we get a very vague sense of what was actually said. Right. But I mean, you at least educated your female children somewhat. I mean, right. a lot of the times yeah. it wasn't necessarily intellectual. Yeah, but I mean, it was, you know, like in, say, you know, like colonial times in America, you didn't educate women at all. Right. But women in, in this time did have an education. Yes. A different one from boys, but it was an education. Mm-hmm. And and women were starting to demand the same education mm-hmm. as men. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he said that, apparently. Yeah. In front of his dickhead son, who I'm sure isn't going to be a horrible person. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, that was my first reaction when she said, I have to agree with everything he says, even when it's errant nonsense. I'm like, so you mean... All, all the time, yeah. constantly. Oh, right. But she... We see her getting ready. She's going out cycling. It's the only thing she likes to do. She mm-hmm. goes... She cycles out into the wilderness. Yeah. She goes swimming in the river. And she talks about the bicycle being this instrument of freedom. Yeah. Which struck me because I was a big fan of uh, Ellen Montgomery's Anne of Green Gables series mm. growing up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, still, yeah. I haven't watched or read the books recently. But, yeah. you know, everybody loves Anne Shirley. And she's an Edwardian heroine. Mm. Uh, she was on Prince Edward Island. Prince Edward. Uh-huh. The titular Edwardian prince or king. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. listen, you know what I mean. <laughs> but I remember very vividly about the um, the movies that they made, mm-hmm. which used to air on PBS all the time, but mm-hmm. she had a bicycle. Yeah. And, you know, and she was very, very outspoken and, and you know, feminist without being feminist right, right. per se. Uh, but I just remember that, you know, because it was kind of a saucy thing yeah. for a lady to be on a bicycle. Yeah. Well, and it struck me too, because it, what it reminded me of, because I never rode a bike much as a kid for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just remembered the first time that I drove a car by myself after getting my license. Mm-hmm. And I'd been, you know, like driving wasn't new to me, but I always had somebody with me. Obviously, I was on my, my training permit or whatever. And then... I was shocked by the first time I drove out, and I was just a couple blocks away from my house, and it was just this, I can just drive anywhere. Yeah. Nobody knows, it was before cell phones, nobody knows where I am, or, like, I can do, I can go anywhere I want, and no one can stop me. And it was just, I was really surprised by that feeling. Well, it's, it's autonomy. Yeah. And, and, you know, as a kid... As a woman in Edwardian times, you're not given much autonomy. Yeah, yeah. So to be experiencing it must have been, I mean, you know, it must have been that times a million Mm -hmm. for Edwardian women. Yeah. And I mean, in the same, you know, for Edith to learn to drive a a car and and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So then we we do find uh, another way in which Edwardian life is uh unpleasant for the up upstairs people uh, which is the food mm-hmm. they are not thrilled by it it's heavy creams and uh you know fatty meats awful for Ugh. breakfast right i love that awful and awful are homophones <laughs> yeah. like i think that's fantastic <laughs> yes. 
Um, they liked their game very mature, apparently. Almost rotten. Yeah. Which just, ee. Yeah. Just, ugh. Yeah. Which is, you know. I, I wonder what that had to do with sort of the state of dental health. Because everything seemed that it was cooked very soft. Right, And right. we know that sugar was also a luxury, but at the time, you know, dental hygiene certainly isn't what it is now. Right, So right. people's teeth may have not been able to handle much in the way of, of real solid food. Well, and the upper class in particular, because that's I, I read not that long ago, I was surprised to learn that um, before sugar became, you know, when sugar was more than a luxury, just like not available most places... Uh-huh. People generally kept most of their teeth their whole life. Uh-huh. Like they'd have one go rotten and, and have to, you know, get pulled out right. now and then. But it was only when sugar became, you know, available that people re- let dental hygiene really collapse. Yeah. And for the upper class, you know, it was a luxury. They got all the luxuries. I yeah. Mean, you'd have sugar's delicious. I'm sure they had all the time. And mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's an interesting point that it, it being to protect people's teeth that mm-hmm. they cook that way. Uh, but – we we see Lady O.C. complaining that there's no fresh fruit, there's no roughage whatsoever. Yeah. And uh, she, she says that, you know, constipation is a fact of Edwardian life. And I'm like, so you are full of shit. You admit it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they've, they've asked Monsieur Dubillard to give them more, you know, fresh produce and whatnot. And Monsieur Dubillard don't care. Monsieur Dubillard does not take direction, okay? <laughs> He's like the Chuck Norris of Manor House. Yeah. You know, Monsieur Dubillard's sympathy cures cancer, but he's never had occasion to feel it. <laughs> yeah. So, so, what- <laughs> so what does Monsieur Dubillard do? He, he's, he's got the head of a pig. He's cooking a pork cheek. Yes, with a bunch of roasted root vegetables. Yes, which, apart from the fact you have to look at the head. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I don't know. Because he said, and this, I love this line, because he was talking about how, how Edwardians, they wanted their cooks to like do crazy things and uh, give them, he said, a life full of inexpectations, <laughs> which I just thought was a great phrase. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and I loved it because it's like he sends this giant pig's head <laughs> up on a platter and he's like, sucks to your ass, Mar! <laughs> yeah. And like all the servants are applauding as the uh, pig's head goes on. You know, because he really is the only one. Who can really stick it to the upstairs people. Yeah. Because he has control mm-hmm. over the food. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to cook it. They can't cook right. it. They're not allowed to. Yeah. And and they can't really... I mean, clearly he's uncontrollable. Yeah. He is a dynamo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they bring it up and, and the people upstairs, not... So uncomfortable. And And it's great because this is a... This is a show that they don't use a whole lot of, of scoring on. There right. is music in the backgrounds, but more often than not, they sort of allow the awkwardness yeah. in normal conversation and just kind of hang there. Yeah. And they're just appalled. Yeah. And they're all kind of like nervously laughing, but like Lord O.C. is so pissed. Yeah, he's really He's mad. really mad. He's like, oh, Monsieur's having one of his joke days. And I'm like, yeah. this is deadly serious. Yeah. Like, this is in no way a joke. Have you ever seen Monsieur Dubillard? Joke? Well, and like, and he like carved an ice swan, but like, it still looked very square to me. It looked yeah. very 80s. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know. I've never carved ice. That's true. 
But uh, the guy, actually, Chef Herbert at the I work catering once uh, when I was in high school, and he would do ice sculptures all the time, and mm-hmm. he'd whip out something much better than that. Not very long. I feel like Monsieur Dubiard probably didn't do much in the way of ice sculpting before he came to this. Also, and I also I take that back. Chef Herbert had power tools, so yeah, I, I so. would draw my comparison there. There was also this is just a random thing, but because they brought up the pig's head, you know, hole obviously, and then it was getting carved to give. And it looked like Monsieur's hands carving. Yeah, but he wouldn't have been upstairs. Right, he wouldn't have been upstairs, particularly not to hear the... (laughs) It's also possible, I mean, what with all the authenticism, but it's also possible that uh, Mr. Edgar wouldn't have known how to carve that. Right. I mean, I... Well, I don't know how to carve anything. So well, yeah. Because well, although later we do see the footman carving uh, game birds. Yeah. Which maybe. Well, but maybe we also saw Mr. Edgar. I think Mr. Edgar generally carves. Okay. I think the footman carve if necessary. But I think it is carving meat has always been a traditionally sort of like head male yeah, type thing high to do. Status, yeah. 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 I did notice at that dinner that Miss Anson was thanking um, Charlie. So I think she generally thanks the staff. Yeah. I don't, you know, that, you know, it doesn't mean that nobody else is doing it, but I, right, you know, right. I thought it was interesting that the editors opted to mm-hmm. put that detail in there because mm-hmm. it, it is just sort of like a throwaway. Yeah. Um, but you do generally just see her like, and it's not, it's not a big difference, but her just sort of her carriage towards the servants. It's very much more little, considerate than yeah. everybody else in the yeah. house. Um, with the exception of a guy, but again, right. well, we'll, we'll get into yeah. that. <laughs> we'll get seriously into that. Uh, we had the, uh, subtitles on and, mm-hmm. and sort of as the dust is settling from this fiasco with the pig's <laughs> head, the subtitles just say no conversation, <laughs> <laughs> which was delightful. Yes. Uh, and so they and so they feel they, they seem to be blaming Mr. Edgar for not adequately, controlling but this is you know presumably the same day as he's delivered his edict from on high that they have to be more edwardian and and so and so lord oc feels betrayed like (sighs) betrayed give me a break (laughs) like if they dump your chamber pot on you while you're sleeping (laughs) then maybe you can feel betrayed if if they overthrow the government and set up a new revolutionary regime you know yeah yeah that's that's betrayal. They betrayed you. Yeah. If they all quit and leave, yeah. that's betrayal. Yeah. Betrayal. <laughs> you ruined my life. Betrayal. You're twisting the knife. <laughs> do you get that reference? <laughs> if you do, please write in. <laughs> we may be friends. One of the footmen is incensed about their reaction to, mm. I think it's Rob. I think you're great. And he, he accuses them of living in Edwardian Narnia. Yes. Which I wish I had a band. <laughs> I would name it Edwardian Narnia. <laughs> We'd dress all steampunk and uh, play the tambourine. <laughs> yeah. And, and and the pan flute, of course. Yes. And just such a dead on yeah. like, characterization. And, and it's, you know, like, even as much as I, I prefer Lady O.C. in this, like, that's only in comparison to what she's brought to the table thus far. Like, yeah. they are, you know, they are treating it as, as a holiday and as a fun thing that they're doing, except yeah. that when they want to complain. Right. Right. And they just think that they ought to be catered to. Yeah. So, well done there. We learn a little bit about marriage and divorce. I think we've mm. covered some of this in the past. Right. Um, 
but there were only, I think, less than a hundred divorces per annum. Either less than a hundred or less than a thousand. Mm-hmm. And then versus a hundred thousand right. for the end of the 20th century, yeah. you know, uh, on account of like women's autonomy and, <laughs> right. uh, relaxation of inheritance laws. Yes. Uh, but we did find out, you know, if, if there was a divorce, men got custody of the children and women weren't necessarily entitled to any money. Mm-hmm. So that's just something to consider. Yeah. We've yeah. come a long way, baby. Yes. Well, and we and, and then we also learned that uh, marital infidelity among the upper classes was A-OK because uh, King Edward did it. Yeah. He had many, many mistresses. Yeah. And again, I can't get over monarchy sometimes because in Victorian times, Victoria was like, uh, it's not OK to cheat on your spouse. And then King Edward came along. And it's like, uh, it's OK now. And uh-huh. that's that's who got to decide was the king and everybody was cool with it yeah like they you know they didn't have you know their their legal powers was much reduced at this point but they still got to decide whether it was okay to cheat on your spouse well and that's the other important role of the aristocracy is normalizing that kind of behavior Mm -hmm. because we had mentioned somebody sent a telegram a while back that mentioned that it would have been very middle class to want to be monogamous Mm -hmm. at this period Mm -hmm. in time and you know so in the sense that the aristocracy is propping up the monarchy, you know, it was in everyone's best interest for them to bow to the whims of the monarch because that was how, how yeah. else do you set yourself apart from the hoi polloi? Yeah, yeah. We do learn that the lower servants are not permitted to marry. Right. So in a Downton Abbey context, uh, that would mean that Gwen, for example, uh, and well, and we have that theme between Gwen and Anna where they're like, oh, we're not even allowed to see men. But then obviously Anna's permitted, you know, because clearly Mr. Bates is not having <laughs> sex with anything. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> everybody's like, him? <laughs> Can he uh, still? Uh, 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 you know, that's in the same category as the <laughs> Olive Coopers. Let's just not. Uh, yeah, but that's kind of a bummer. Like, yeah. I, and, you know, and I guess that's sort of how you become a lady's maid, though. You know, you're a lower servant and you move up through the ranks and yeah. you just, you've been at it so long that you can't have a relationship with anyone. Yeah. Well, and I think it is, cause like we see the, well, we don't see this character, but how, um, Maggie Smith's maid, that was in series one, I believe, goes off and gets married. That's true. Like, so you can't stay in service, but if you do right. get, you know, if you can find a position that lets you get married somewhere else, you go off and do that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, but yes, and, but they was certainly were not allowed to, uh, fraternize, fraternize uh, despite, and this is actually, I just wrote this down because it was a weird line reading by Derek Jacoby in the narration where he said, nonetheless, this, in this time period, more than half of all illegitimate children were born to female servants. It was like, <laughs> I think the female was kind of implied there. Well, really- <laughs> you know, it's the British Isles and seahorses <laughs> running around getting promiscuous. <laughs> Yeah. If you've ever known a male servant that gave birth, uh, please write us. Or uh, perhaps a medical journal of some kind. (laughs) It might be the better. Us first. We want to get the scoop. (laughs) Must cite up yours downstairs. As an Edwardian podcast, we get so few scoops. It's already happened. That's true. Very little breaking news in the Edwardian podcast world. So despite 
despite the prohibition of any sort of uh, <laughs> uh, canoodling, yes, uh, there is canoodling aplenty yes. happening between Kenny and Ellen, who sneak off to go smoke cigarettes somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, where are they getting these cigarettes? I'm very curious if yeah. it's like if they just like get tobacco or right. Which I mean, you know, certainly in Edwardian times, they were widely available. Oh yeah, so well, and like, you know, oh, and all yeah, these people sure. are of age. It's not like they can't right, right. smoke if they want. And uh, we do also find out that the upper classes would handily put the names of various guests on cards outside their rooms so that anyone sort of searching for their uh, assignation during the night could easily find that person. Right. Left undiscussed is whether you would hang a sock on your door. (laughs) (laughs) Also left undiscussed is uh, if the members of the household marked their doors in any way. Oh, yeah. Uh, I would think not. Right. Because, well, and I think also the implication would be that if somebody who lived at the house wanted to find you Mm -hmm. uh, for banging purposes, they would come to your room versus you coming to their room. Which makes sense. Yeah. Because, you know, you're you're in, you know. Right. It's just. I mean, you have a separate room from your spouse, but it's like joined. It's just manners. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking in terms of like Mr. Pamuk coming to find Lady Mary and, and, you know, he wouldn't have known where her room was. Right. Right. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. We also learned that the term weekend was not unknown to people at the time, mm-hmm. but it was frowned upon, as it is in Downton Abbey, for implying that someone would work common mm. hours. Right, right. But it does seem unlikely that the otherwise very savvy Dowager Countess wouldn't have been aware that some persons observed a weekend. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she was like, you know, she's well-read. Yeah, she reads all that Jules Verne. Yeah, yeah. He had sock hops and stuff in there, right? (laughs) Wait, that was Back to the Future. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Marty! (laughs) You're you're confusing Jules Verne and Robert Zemeckis. Common mistake. (laughs) So then I believe at this point we we see the uh, hunting getting underway mm-hmm. the shooting specifically the shooting at this point so we Lord OC and a gaggle of ugly British men <laughs> y'all I just want to point out that class mixing is really important for the proliferation of attractive people here here so don't let your families try and crossbreed you with a cousin I'm just saying <laughs> that's I think that's unlikely but just bit, in but hey, case we don't know who's listening to yeah, this yeah we don't yeah aristocrats members of cults but (laughs) we don't know we do learn that in a shooting weekend six men could shoot upwards of three thousand birds among them yeah no one can eat three thousand birds right now i do think that frequently these birds would be given to the village like whether to the Mm. local um game shop uh-huh. Or, you know, to individual families. Right, so I think right. they were distributed to be eaten. Mm, mm-hmm. But it does just seem really wasteful. Yeah, it does. Well, and, yeah, and, uh, just the conversations that they have. And it's just... Cause, and this is... I wrote this down for later in the in the episode, but I'll say it now. Remember, everybody you see that isn't the OCs, they're not acting. Yeah. This is their life. Yeah. Like, they're really doing and believing all these things. Like, yeah. Oh, man. No, and, and, and still. Yeah. In 2001. Even with Tesco's and everything. <laughs> That's right. 
You can um, just they, go buy some pheasant, right? <laughs> yeah, you would think. I, I did one thing that I just noticed, and I don't know if anybody who knows about modern day shooting, they did seem to be shooting both pheasants and ducks. Ducks. I definitely yeah. saw some ducks in there. So I don't know whether that's just some ducks that were in the wrong place at the wrong time or what, but that just that was just something I noticed. Yes, and then meanwhile, while the men are all out wandering around shooting things, the women are awkwardly entertaining their guest. And Levine, like, she she looks like she really might go on a killing spree. Like, she look, just looks so, But like, she's not permitted to shoot, not even for practice, like her sister! Yes, that's true. No, I and mean, you can just see, and, and, like, in a very, like, contained, like, not, you know, she's being polite, but you can just see that inside she just hates it. Uh-huh. And, oh, and I, and I feel it. I would hate that, too, having to sit... God knows how long with some stranger and make small talk and uh, well and none of them are happy about it and yeah. and yeah and we see um, Lady OC saying that her son Jaunty has been writing in her diary you know talk to like talk to mom I, it's not clear whose diary he's writing this in right but that he wants her to carve out time to speak with him but that's not part of mm-hmm. what they're supposed to be doing yeah. But then he's, like, complaining that he hasn't seen her in eight days. I'm like, well, then quit going to college. Like, <laughs> batten down the hatches with your freaking aunt. She's got no one to play shuttlecock with now. <laughs> yeah, and, and they're just complaining that you can't express any affection toward each other. And, and just everything is so formal that they can't even talk. And, yeah. and Levine is saying that she has a very close relationship with her sister. Mm-hmm. But things have really changed for the worse yeah. since they came. And she sees how much her sister is enjoying her time. And I think that's got to chafe, not equally, but it's got to make it so much worse, like, that she's so miserable, but her sister is having a ball. Well, and because I'm sure that they had conversations going into it, like, that. oh, this is going to be so, how are we going to deal with, you know, like, that they both thought that they would, you know, hate all this dressing up and all this sort of thing. Well, and it's kind of like, you know, much as I hate Texas Ranch House, Mm -hmm. and I do. (laughs) Right. But at least, like, the mom and the daughters in that were kind of all on the same page about, like, we're not going to do this. Like, (laughs) this is stupid. But, I mean, and I guess it's better TV if there's conflict. But, God, you know, it. and I don't have a sister, so I can only kind of Mm -hmm. speculate what that bond is like. But, you know... I think if I was in this situation, like with my mom, mm-hmm. and my mom was like the lady of the house, yeah, and she yeah. was getting super into it, and I was dealing with like being, you know, neglected. And- yeah, in and in, in my family situation, I would be Lady Mary, only with three younger brothers, so yeah. definitely not getting yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah, and it would and it would just be frustrating because it would just be harder and harder to relate to that person, particularly with all of these roadblocks that are getting thrown up by this fake time period constraint. So that's all very sad. It is. And we get a little bit more conversation with Kenny and Ellen because Mr. Edgar has had to sit Kenny down and say, listen, I kind of saw you guys and Ellen's shirt was all messed up and her brooch was askew and her hair was messed up and her shirt was open. Yeah. And you know that if you get caught, she's the one who gets sacked. Yeah. And he was, and I mean, Mr. Edgar is cool. Like he is great. And I think, I think, I think he's gotten better at managing the staff. Well, you, you'd have to after seven weeks, you understand how to approach different problems. Yeah. Because he, because he's just like, listen, 
I, you know, I am not saying that I don't care, but I don't care. This is about not getting caught. We're not getting upstairs because uh-huh. if it gets upstairs, there's nothing Mr. Well, Anthony and that's do. that's again where, you know, when Derek Jacoby's like, if a servant was discovered to be having an affair, they would be spat. And I just feel like Derek Jacoby is actually, you know, he's he's declaiming all these things from the perspective of the upper, of the upper classes. Right. You know, right. whoever wrote his his copy was working from an upper class manual because yeah you you know human beings are human beings they will find a way to have sex with each other yeah if i've learned nothing else in my life (laughs) so you know you had to you know below stairs had to make these compromises like it's inhuman Mm -hmm. what they're being asked to do right Right. I mean, you and, know, social and, mores or no, yeah. the lower classes have always flouted social mores because in many ways they can't afford to, but they can, yeah. you know, their, they, their star got, can't, you know, their star can't fall that far. Right. Right. Uh, and, and yeah. And I mean, this is, you know, things would be worked out. Unspoken arrangements would be made mm-hmm. and everybody would find ways to, you know, cause you know, like the things that Derek Jacoby is, Everybody would have officially said any how like even households where there were relationships going on. If you had asked the people, they would have said, "Oh no, that's not allowed." Right? And they would have said, "What about Kenny and Ellen?" You would have said, "Uh, well, we don't. Uh, that's the, who? Yeah, we don't, are you? Uh, yeah. Our house? Yeah. They work here. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, we get another thing with Ellen, and yet another member of female staff being very cavalier about prostitution. <laughs> yeah, like she's like laughing hysterically, like, "Oh, I would get chucked out and have to go be a prostitute." Yeah, uh, well, because she's saying that Kenny, she would have gotten into trouble rather than Kenny, right? That it would have been assumed to be her fault. Yes. Yeah. Well, she, daughter of Eve, and all that. Indeed. Uh, oh, Narnia. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, the problem of Susan. <laughs> is the story of human history. <laughs> yeah. I, I wrote down this quote, and I believe it was from Mr. Edgar saying, no wonder that era came to an end. Yes. Well, and that was, I think, when he was, uh, because uh, Lord O.C. was mad at him. He was being very cold to him. and, and oh, right, because he was, he was humiliating him in front of, he was. Yes, yeah, he in was front of the, yeah. uh, the, the fancy actual aristocrats. Right, because at dinner that night when they were having the pheasants that had been shot, the uh, they were a little cold getting to the mm-hmm. table, and Lord O.C. was gonna be like, wah, 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 wah. and 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 just it was very emotional. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, we all know that Mr. Edgar is very in touch with his feelings, which honestly, the more I keep seeing it, is really remarkable for a man of his age. Yeah. Uh, I, it's great that he because he ta- because he takes it so seriously. That's why he's the most affecting member of staff. Yeah. I mean. Mrs. Davis must have just never done a talking head. We barely ever yeah, see her. Like, you know, we like her and she seemed like... I, she seems just, very competent. Well, I think really it seems like Mrs. Davies and the housemaids, they're all just doing a good job. Yeah. And not that upset. I mean, they, they're just, you know... Yeah, they they failed to provide the necessary drama. Yeah. Uh, so I guess good on you, but also shame on you, <laughs> women <need> staff. content. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, because that's where, yeah, because him, because Mr. Edgar being so upset, that's why I had written this down and I didn't remember why. I just have it written down. Lord O.C. may be the worst person alive. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was, I think it was that. I'm not moment. sure that's true. I know. 
I don't uh, think it's true either, but just to be that way to Mr. Edgar. No, and, and because he's the only person really, Mrs. Davis might be, we don't mm-hmm. know, but he's putting in such a good faith effort. Yeah. He is working incredibly hard. Yeah. And the fact that Lord O.C. can't see the difference mm-hmm. between him and the rest of staff yeah. apparently is yeah. appalling. Yeah. And it's just, it is funny how quickly power corrupts in these situations. Right. Yeah. I know we keep coming back to the Stanford prison experiment. <laughs> yeah. But it's just, you know, you give someone a modicum of power over somebody else. And I was reading about it. There was a, a, a photo spread and an article in the New York Times Magazine last week about nannies in New York City and, mm. and the relationship between them and their employers and right. these relationships that they forge with the children that mm. they're nannying. And then they never see them again. Yeah. Because, you know, and it's not always, it's not always a, a, an unfriendly situation. Sometimes it's just, oh, like, we don't need you anymore. Right. But, like, it's still, you know, the parents can't see the relationships between... Mm-hmm. Anyway, again, that's a whole other podcast <laughs> right. called uh, A Nanny of a Pickle. <laughs> and, <laughs> but it, it's just fascinating once a person has a concept of themselves as being above someone else, how quickly those hierarchical patterns just sort of codify themselves and become self-evident. They're like, oh yeah, of course. Of mm-hmm. course I should be treating a fellow human being this way. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, well, because, and we also, well, we, we start, uh, we get some guy at this point. Oh, he's back, but he's aged a decade. Yeah, he's so, like, world weary. He is just like, you expect him to have a cigarette, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, and just be, <laughs> like, swilling a beer. It's like, He's like somebody in one of the the uh, uh, present day sections of Citizen Kane, you know. Yeah, He's at yeah. a bar somewhere. It's like I remember when I enjoyed life. <laughs> but he he looks tired. Yeah, he yeah. looks very tired, and he is he's complaining. He doesn't like it. You know, all there is for him to do is like go fishing with his dad, which nobody wants to do. That. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, he's a much better fisherman than his dad, though. Yeah. He catches, I think, at least two fish. Yeah, he does. If not more. Yeah. But he's got, you know, he likes it better below stairs, and he never he never sees his family. Yeah. Because remember, he is not allowed to eat with them. Yeah. They never, ever see each other. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, below stairs, he can kind of do what he wants. Yeah, and, just and be a kid. And he even says, like, it's much more relaxed, which yeah. is a weird thing for a 10-year-old to be saying. <laughs> yeah. But... Well, because well, he says nobody's saying... Uh, formality. Formality. And, oh, no, you don't go first. Uh, Lady Olive Cooper goes first. Or, oh, now now Miss Anson goes uh-huh. first. And Well, and it's funny, too, and you see this more later because of a conversation that happens sort of during the shooting party... The shooting party is still going on. Like, it's a three-day affair. But his parents seem to discuss things very freely in front of him uh, in terms of sort of, like, sexuality and stuff, which Mm. it may just be because they have a son who's older. Mm -hmm. But it just may... I don't know. It just may be their parenting style because Lady Olive Cooper was talking about affairs and infidelities and things like that in front of of Guy. And I thought that was odd. Yeah. But... I, I don't know. I don't know how other people raise their children. Oh, right. I don't have any. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I thought that was interesting, and so I guess it would make a certain amount of sense that he would 
be talking like that, you know, yeah. kind of yeah. old for his age. Yeah. Well, yeah, because then he comes, he's caught some fish and he comes down to the servants' quarters. He's like, Kenny, a bit of success from fishing. <laughs> Yeah. Which is very cute. Yeah. No, and him and Kenny are like hanging out and he's asking Kenny what fish he's caught. And he's, he says that he's never caught any trout because those are just for toffs. <laughs> Posh people, I thought Posh he said. Posh people, yeah. What it, whatever it was. Yeah. Well, and then we get uh, a talking head with Lady OC and she talks about how she had a moment seeing Guy having fun with the servants or whatever and found her, caught herself thinking that he shouldn't get too close to the servants because one day when he inherits the manor, he'll have to be their lord and master. Mm -hmm. And then she was like, oh, wait, but it's not real. Right. And I was like, also, uh, Jaunty is going to inherit the manor. Like, you need to start making plans for Guy because he doesn't Uh, doesn't get to inherit. (laughs) No one likes, even his family hates. Like, they're like, please go into the clergy or something. Doesn't he look like Mr. Collins from Pride and Prejudice? (laughs) Like, doesn't he just look how you imagine that dude? I suppose. I mean, if you haven't had your opinion formed by, right, I was you know, the that. various film adaptations, yeah. but, yeah. uh, yeah, I just, ugh, jaunty. He's <laughs> yeah. just so, ugh. He's like Paul Dano, but worse. <laughs> they said it couldn't be done. <laughs> uh, but she talks about how, you know, if they were to continue this experiment for a couple of years, the way that it would completely dissolve her family. Yeah. And that she would become very close with Miss Morrison. Mm-hmm. Her husband would become very close to Mr. Edgar or have an affair. Yeah. And the children would grow up totally scarred for life. They would never see their parents and then they would be sent off to school and that At would be that. At the age of seven. Yep. Yeah. And no, I, mean, that's- I guess that's what should be said about... Um, female children might have had a slightly more psychologically healthy relationship with it. I mean, only very slightly. Right, right. Simply because they wouldn't have been sent off to boarding school. Could be. Potentially. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, well, and this also was where we, I mean, you know, when we say Lady O.C. is better in this episode, I mean, it is things like that. Like, she really is, like, considering sort of the implications uh-huh. of their society. Right. You know, and it's interesting the thing that she said, despite it being factually untrue about Guy inheriting the manor. Right. Um, but it's it's a very similar situation to sort of Mary's relationship with Carson yeah. on Downton Abbey. Yeah. And I kind of want to be like, oh, no, no, don't worry. <laughs> uh, he'll get very self-involved as he grows older. Because, yeah. you know, that's the other well, thing, though, because especially if you go off to school, right. every, nobody, nobody would want to admit to each other that they had a special relationship with their servants. Yeah. No, I mean, that's what it is. Your parents don't teach you how to be an aristocrat. Your school does. That's uh-huh. the whole point of the school. <laughs> Run! <laughs> Run in the corridor! <laughs> that, I will identify for you, is the Malcolm McTell movie, If, which if you want to be really disturbed by uh, British boarding schools in the 1960s, I can't recommend enough. Yeah. And uh, and I do. I want to watch that again now. I, I do, too. <laughs> Got to finish this podcast, Tom. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> uh, then we get a weird scene where they have to open this vintage port. They they are opening all this vintage port. They're opening a very good vintage port yes. for the guests who've been incited indoors. Mm-hmm. Because Lord O.C., as part of the, the sporting weekend, is hosting the fox hunt. Right. Which, vomit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kenny agrees with us. Kenny's very upset about the fox hunt. Yeah. Um, well, and this is this is where I wrote that down because he talks about how he couldn't express his opinion because everybody gave him a lot of shit for it. Uh-huh. And it was the realization that, you know, not the people that are pretending to be the aristocracy, but the actual aristocracy that are there would like 
yeah, they go fox hunting all the time. Yeah. And like, oh, would, look, we're going to paint you red and call you a fox. Yeah. They Kenny would, the hall boy. <laughs> Don't you have a hall to be boying in? They would have said, that's funny. I thought you wanted a job someday. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I'm <laughs> making a call to the prime minister. Uh, as long as he's not labor. Uh, so... They have to open these bottles of port in a very specific way where they have to heat the neck of the bottle with hot tongs. And then they're supposed to run a wet feather around it, which will crack the glass, which it doesn't. (laughs) Yeah. But eventually it does crack because of the heat, which I'm like, is there like shards of glass? Just, I mean, if so, good on them. But I mean, I think that's the idea with the wet feather thing is it's supposed to crack it versus shatter it. Right. Okay. I believe. And Mr. Edgar makes some comments about, oh, you know, this thing with dividing up the port, according to People's Station, you know, is just another example of this hierarchical society. And I'm like, society's always hierarchical. Right. I mean, in this case, it was very specific and there was all this etiquette where – and I will – you know, I'm loath to ever agree with Sir John. In some ways, <laughs> it was easier because – and we've talked about this before, right. but just it was very clear who was better than who and it was very hard to not be – Right. Well, aware. I mean, the whole theme of this episode is how you can't express emotion mm-hmm. in the society. And that's the whole point. You know, they're all feeling the lack of being able to express affection and all these other emotions. But it also made it that you also weren't able to express disruptive emotions. Right. And anger and, and jealousy and, you know, all this sort of mm-hmm. thing. So, you know, that was the point of it was to keep things. It's stable. interesting that nobody makes that point, even upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. They don't, it doesn't seem like the Olive Coopers have a lot of disruptive emotions though to me. Right, right. Um, yeah, and, and I guess cause I mean, you know, society is hierarchical now. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's the other thing is that I think they, they connect the dots a little bit maybe later on, but it, I mean, you know, it's still, there are still posh people no matter what part of the world you're in. There's still people drinking. I don't know that I've ever had port. So I have on at least one occasion at El Maison actually. Well, good for you. That doesn't mean anything to anyone. Um, you know, it's just like extra strong wine and sweet. And we, we learned that in the Edwardian era, $12 million a year would be spent on fox hunting, right? which translates to, uh, three quarters of a billion dollars in 2001. So it's probably more now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that fox hunting was so popular that they depleted the natural supply of foxes in Britain and had to, inc- uh, in, they had to import them from france right and i was just like poor la reynard <laughs> yeah i can't ah oh, god fox hunt. if you listen to this and you've ever fox hunted we don't like you <laughs> yeah sorry and and derek jacoby says something that i didn't quite understand he says women the women's movement was concerned with horse beating and vivisection he, did, he didn't say the women's movement he said there was an animal rights movement. okay okay That's, yeah he said there was a, a, a sort of nascent animal rights movement, but all they were concerned with at that point was horse beating and vivisection. Of horses or just in general? In general. Oh, God, vivisection. Moving on. Yes. I don't like to think about it. Neither did they, hence the movement. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we also get a nice shot of, of Kenny and Ellen getting caught. Uh, yes. At one of their liaisons in the maid's quarters. Yeah. And in the beginning of the episode, they were all like, oh, yeah, we can't do anything. Right. Which was cute because they were saying, oh, you know, it's it's just hand-holding and, and, and flirting and stuff. Right. They clearly uh, escalated. The, yeah, definitely. Which I, I'm like, I wonder if they were able to use anything for birth control or... 
or if they were just 19 and uh and foolish yeah <laughs> well half of the illegitimate children were born <laughs> to female servants yeah so yeah uh yeah I, d- I do know i do remember that in frontier house they specifically mentioned that birth control was left up to the the participants they're like you can use modern birth control and I, yeah that's true they yeah. did say that yeah uh, you know, nobody wants to, uh, <laughs> right. live this, ex- nobody wants a souvenir that's alive <laughs> from this. Right. And then, uh, downstairs they've got poet laureate. I'm sorry, downstairs being downstairs from the servants quarters. Right. But upstairs from the downstairs. <laughs> yeah. Are we all on the same page? <laughs> Great. We have Mr. Andrew Motion, the poet laureate, which, oh, do we still have poetry? great i was like oh yeah apparently the poet laureate is coming to this fake house and i'm like boy time must hang heavy on the hands of a poet laureate (laughs) (laughs) not much to do uh so he's doing a poem about being really bad at fishing which i can only assume was inspired by lord oc Mm. Lady Olive Cooper is is entertaining some people at a table, and Master Guy is eating a flower. <laughs> yeah, just in front of everybody, looking dead at the camera, <laughs> eating a flower. Yeah, that's actually the second time when he was fishing with his dad. He also at one point looked at the camera, which just amused me because uh-huh. nobody else, you know, unless you're doing a specific talking head thing, nobody else looks at a camera. No, he's great. Yeah, yeah. There was also um. At some point earlier, uh, the footman and Mr. Edgar, I think it was while they were working with the port, one of them, whether I think Rob, was saying that he had heard Lord O.C. saying that there were three kinds of people, the knobs, the scutter, and the dregs, and that they, you know, the servants were the dregs. Mr. Edgar felt that he did not consider himself part of the dregs. Uh-huh. I agree with you, Mr. Edgar. I was con- confused by the term scutter. And I was trying to look it up online, and there were sort of differing things, one of which saying that it actually came from the robots on Red Dwarf oh. that did, like, the menial tasks. Oh, that makes sense. And so it was unclear, on the one hand, whether it's somebody that does, like, sort of runs around doing menial tasks. On the other hand, somebody who, as best I could tell from Urban Dictionary, like a chav, except they don't care about their appearance at all <laughs> <laughs> and are just real slobby and dirty. Um, so if anybody, again, any British listeners that have any insight into the term scutter, yes. I'm kind of curious about that. So, so wait, who, who are the knobs, the scutters, and the dregs? Is that the servants, or is that just... It was It was all just, it was an out-of-context, unclear sentence to me okay. in general. But just an excuse for uh, the footman to call him a knob. I believe so. Okay, good. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Quite the knob, Sir John. <laughs> but yes, I'll... Ellen and Kenny, uh, caught by the producers. Yes. Uh, you know, who I presume, well, they'll tell people if they feel like it. They but you know what? Them. Everybody knew what was going yeah. on because yeah. the, the, the big problem, and I don't know that we've talked about it, like, developing throughout this episode, but they're right. knocking off every afternoon to go and get into some mischief with each other. <laughs> right. And, you know, it, you know, poor Antonia, because at the beginning of the episode, she's like, oh, <laughs> you know, Ellen's a dream. She's in the kitchen. She does her work. And then, boom, as soon as Kenny gets his weaselly little nose uh, in her ear, yeah. she's gone. She's yeah. a goner. And they, they are, like, they do love each They're other. So They're just cute. so and in love. Yeah. Like- but, you know, the rest of the servants have a meeting with Mr. Edgar. Mm-hmm. And Derek Jacoby says that, you know, Edwardian servants wouldn't have been so democratic. 
And I, I, I think sort of yes, but also sort of no. Like, yeah. I think because you see that scene in Downton Abbey where Mr. Carson brought everybody in to see about the wine theft, mm. which, you know, that was much more formal. Right. But I mean, you know, this is a very informal crew. Yeah. Like, they. Well, yeah, and it's not like, it's not like he was putting that up to a vote. He was just saying to people, he was just getting people's opinions. I mean, mm-hmm. because, you know, the issue is, how is, is everybody able to do their work? How much, you know, like, yeah. what? Uh, so they, they take away Kenny's screen. <laughs> yeah. So that he and Ellen can't do it in the hall. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, <laughs> Why don't we do it in the hall? <laughs> so we haven't seen Ellen and Kenny actually doing it in the hall or like any right. evidence of them doing it. Well, I think it was to keep them from doing that, but also just for sort of a punishment. Yeah. Just so that he has to sleep in the open. Now. Yeah. Because um, uh, it was like a gift for Mr. Edgar to give right. him a screen. I think ordinarily he wouldn't have had a screen. That was the impression, yeah. So Ellen's furious. Yeah. This is a side of Ellen we've not seen. Yeah. She is swearing up a storm. She says something that starts with a P that we couldn't even identify. Right. <laughs> about Mr. Dubiard and how she's not going to listen to him anymore. And I'm like, oh, great. Again? <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah, but she, and well, what's funny about Ellen, I mean, because she is just such a sunny person, like, even when she was, like, completely furious, like, she's still just got sort of a smile. But she's like, I just love Kenny! Yeah. Like, I just fucking love him! Yeah. Everyone's such a fucking hypocrite! (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, they've been kind of called out and taken to task for their dalliances. Yeah. Uh, Ellen just kind of has sex hair the whole episode. (laughs) Right. Well, and, I mean, as cute as they are, and as much as we sort of support you know, Kellen. Um, <laughs> like, they let the fires go out in the afternoon. Yeah. And, like, as Monsieur Dubiard says, it takes two or three hours to get the stoves hot again. Uh-huh. Like, it just, he he can't do his job if the fires go out. Yeah. Like, you know, it's got to be done. They are not team players. Yeah. Uh, so, then Levine, Miss Anson, has reached her breaking point. Yeah. She is so frustrated mm-hmm. by the situation. She's – her symptoms aren't enti- – she seems like she's depressed. Yeah. Is the best that I can determine because she just said yeah. she's been quiet, uh, tired, and, and taking – she took to her bed for two days. Yeah. And just like, I'm not coming out. Yeah. Yeah. So they get uh, – they have a, a medical history – doctor mm-hmm. come out he's acting as their physician right presumably he's also a legitimate doctor as well right, right. um his name's dr morris mccray and so he diagnoses her and says you know you need to take a break from the project right and uh derek jacoby says you know in this situation most likely miss anson would go off to a spa mm-hmm. or something and 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 take the waters yeah. and and try and recuperate yeah and i felt very comfortable that the historian it was good to have this historian there and say yeah a doctor would have come in said you yes. need a change of scenery uh-huh the problem is with the environment in this house you need uh-huh. to get out of it and so you know so get out yeah. and and you know and she talks a lot about how at the you know during the era women weren't allowed to talk about the things that they were feeling so mm-hmm. they would have been diagnosed as hysterical and sent yeah. to asylums which is all true yeah absolutely. Uh, that movie hysteria just came out which i believe is victorian right more so than edwardian but i believe one of the plot points is a woman being tried for hysteria yeah uh, essentially for thinking that women aren't crazy for being dissatisfied so <laughs> right but, yeah, I mean, they, you know, women were, I mean, they were driven mad by yeah. their life. I mean, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, 
the I guess my point is, you know, the the measures that have been taken throughout history have mm-hmm. have in many cases exceeded right, right, what's right. needed. Yeah, and been you know obviously um, yeah. counter to making anyone feel any better. Right. But it's 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 a really great plot point, and Mr. Edgar I think is very sad to see her go. He he says I can't remember exactly what he said. Yeah, but just that it's just been very hard for uh-huh. her. Well, I think he appreciates that it's been hard for her in part because she has played along. She like she's, is she's, the she's, only other person besides him who's really committed because she hasn't really complained. Right. You know. Yeah. Apart from to this doctor, she's she's. You know, she wants to do this for her sister. I think it's sort of like the the memory of the good relationships that they had, and she doesn't want to jeopardize things further by not committing to this project. Right. Well, and because you know, because her sister talks about how she she should have seen it sooner, how difficult she was having, and it. they do have a very affectionate goodbye. Yeah, and I, and I think it's clear that it's not. You know, it's you know, if it was Lord O.C., it would just be him being insensitive. Well, we don't but, see his reaction right. whatsoever. Right, but. It, it was because Miss Anson Levine was was keeping it all in mm-hmm. as was period appropriate, right? Yeah, like she was hiding it from everybody. Yeah. So no, so you know our our period appropriate hats are off to you, Miss Anson. <laughs> That's right. You are are fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and this episode in particular, mm-hmm. uh, were we giving a five Maggie Smiths award? Yeah. Uh, she would get it this episode. Yeah. Really fantastic stuff. Agreed. Yeah, and that's uh, that's the episode. Yeah, there was uh, one last thing oh. with uh, yeah with Mr. Edgar and Lord O.C. Apparently, they're back to a good relationship with uh, Mr. Edgar saying we had a lovely conversation. In essence, he apologized, meaning he didn't apologize. Right. Yeah. I don't think apology is a word that Sir John <laughs> knows. Right. So we said that the, the relationship is back on course, but I have to remember that. It happened once. That means it can happen again. Yeah. You know, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'm a servant. It's always shame right. on me. But, yeah. No, and, and just Mr. Edgar is really the most reliable narrator we have in this. Yeah. You know, yeah. he uh, he's taken his ego out of the project in a lot of ways without uh, sacrificing his feelings. Right. You know? Right. Uh, as I imagine a good butler of the time would have done. Yeah. So... Yeah, so we're we're getting into the home stretch here on, right. on Manor House. Uh, we'll be sure to let you know when we're planning to do the uh, the fashion backwards repeats history standalone. We are we're, we're still going to do two. Yeah, don't worry. It's just been kind we're, of a crazy time. Yeah, we're excited to do it. It just is going to take more prep work. So we're, yeah, we're, it's going to be like you know an hour and a half, two hours of original content versus <laughs> right. You know, recapping things. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, but All right. it's going to be great. Yep, so we will uh, we'll be back again in two weeks. So until then, up, up yours, yours downstairs. downstairs.